condition. So we have to trust the process, and when we look into the mirror, are we willing to make the changes that are needed to become a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ? So before we open our message this morning, would you join me again in prayer? Let's ask God's blessing. Lord, as we come before you today, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We pray, Father, that you will help us to see how this applies in each area of our own lives. We do pray, Father, that it might help us to become more devoted in our following of you and that it might increase our level of happiness and joy for we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So we started talking about happiness a little bit earlier in the fall. and We first learned that in the pursuit of happiness, it is the human nature to do things that we imagine are going to make us happy, only to discover many times that once we experience them or see them or do them, Rarely do they make us as happy as what we thought they might. So when we pursue things, uh, it gives to us a temporary bump in happiness, but oftentimes it's fleeting. So I purchase something and then I lose interest in it. I might run after a particular relationship, a new friendship of some sort, or I might jump through a number of hoops to accomplish certain things only to find that that joy and happiness is a short-lived experience. And sometimes then what we find is that our level of joy and happiness goes back to what it previously was. Jesus said a lot of things that were counterintuitive. Uh, people thought that the way to master life was often to look at self-preservation. I think we often consume a lot of our time doing that. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, if you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life, you find it. So Paul also hinted at the same idea when he said in Philippians 3, 7, Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. So imagine with me that Jesus comes along and he is seeing these fishermen alongside the Sea of Galilee. And he looks at them in the eye and he says, leave everything behind, leave your fishing business behind and follow me. Why would Jesus make such a demand? Doesn't that seem to be over the top, that he would make this demand to leave behind the family business? Or could it be he understood sometimes that the things that we think will make us happy rarely do, and the things that we don't think will make us happy will often bring us great joy. So a little bit later in the lives of the disciples, it's quite interesting to me that Peter, one of those fishermen, says, hey, we've left everything and followed you. And it's as if Jesus looked at him and said, well, what are you going to do, Peter? Are you going to leave? And he looks back at Jesus and he says, where am I going to go? You have the words of life. Interesting. So he left behind a family business 
He didn't trust the process, though, and along the way, he began to doubt. Was it worth it? So Jesus tells him, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn around and go back to the family business, Peter? And Peter says, but why would I do that? You have the words of life. So hang on to all these little hooks that I have been given to you, and let's come back now to this parable that we've been talking about. I bet you didn't think we could tease out one parable for eight weeks, but that's what we're doing, okay? And Matthew chapter 13, in verse 43 and verse 44, it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. Look in the mirror, pay attention. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field which someone found and hid, and then in this joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So we've looked at a number of things over the past previous weeks, but the thing that I want to do today is to imagine after he has found this treasure, after he has put forth all the strenuous activity to obtain this treasure, what next? What does he do next? Now, we might think that once this man achieved the possession of this treasure, that it was the end in and of itself. He got the treasure. But there's a ton of questions and a ton of decisions. Once you have that treasure in your hand, what are you going to do with it? Now, what if obtaining the treasure was to do something even greater than getting the treasure itself? What if this man now had resources to be able to do something with his life he never could have done before? So I think of two things that this man could have done. Once he finds the treasure, he could either sit on his security or he could serve a greater good with the resources that he has. So today, I want us to think a little bit about this and I want you, if you have a Bible, or if you don't, they're in the pew in front of you, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, there's these two big points that I've just made. He could sit on his security, or he could use his resources for a greater good. Now, when Jesus calls us to follow him, sometimes it means rearranging our priorities, and instead of obtaining the treasure for self-consumption, what if obtaining the treasure gave him the freedom to do more with his life and thus bring him even greater happiness than he had before he found that treasure? Could the man come to the realization that we will see in chapter 12 of Luke that to whom much is given, much is required? So this is kind of counterintuitive because when we think we've hit the lottery, we want to protect it. But what if that's the start and not the end? What if the pursuit of the riches is to find that the riches become a blessing, not just to me, but to other people as well? Now, what is it going to take for this man to not sit on his security and to invest his life in something greater than sitting on his security. Well, it's going to take a lot of trust 
and it's going to take a lot of courage. So he's going to have to trust the process, and he's going to have to have this courage to overcome. So the first part of Luke chapter 12 talks about sitting on security. So I want you to come to verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 13 down through 21. It's not very long. It flows very quickly, but it's making this point. Listen closely. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you two? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So the abundance of riches in this particular parable is a harvest of crops. So it says, in verse 18, he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So let's tease this parable out a little bit. Here's the setting. There's a person in the crowd that comes up to Jesus, and he has a beef with his brother. There's an inheritance that he wants to have divided between the two of them. And so he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus to intervene. And he says, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus responds in such a way that he says to him, who am I? Am I your judge? Am I your lawyer that I'm to get involved in this situation? There's a bigger issue at play here. And so Jesus then responds to him indirectly. He doesn't give him a direct answer, but gives to him a parable. And this parable is how Jesus is going to uh, force him to look at the man in the mirror. Because you'll see that this man plays his hand, down in verse 19, because he thinks that if he builds a bigger barn, if he builds a bigger storehouse, then he can sit on his security and here's what he thinks. He'll be happy then because he says, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, I won't have to work another day of my life. All I can have to do is sit back and just enjoy my life, drink my Mai Tais out in the sun, that type of thing. And Jesus said, you forgot one thing. You forgot that life is a gift, and love is the point. Because he says, this day your life will be called to you from God to return back to the Creator who brought you into this world. Interesting reply that Jesus gives here. He says to 
the man, first of all, he says, hey, look, do, am I your lawyer or your judge or your politician? No. I am your rabbi, though. And let me teach you something to look at the man in the mirror. Why is it that you are asking me to do this? Is it because you want to obtain as much as you can so that you uh, can just lay back and do nothing productive with your life? And he says, well, that's your aim, that's your goal, to eat and drink and to enjoy it all, but you forgot one thing. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And then who's going to get your inheritance? Why don't you think about, here's the subtle message, using your inheritance, not greedily, but generously. Why don't you look at how you can invest it, not just in yourself, but in the lives of other people as well? So the question often becomes, why must we always sit on our security? Why do you think we do that as human beings? And I think the answer is fear. I think we have a mindset of scarcity a lot of times. And so Jesus is going to address that as well. In verse 22, he goes on and he says this. Now he looks at his disciples and he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his riches and splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you eat or drink, and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Interesting. Don't let fear, don't let this all-consuming fear of scarcity drive you to sit on your security and not do what you can for other people. So we are a fearful people. That's why over 450 times in the Bible, this little phrase is repeated. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. 400 times. Do not fear. God knows. He's watching over you. So the question then becomes, am I responsible for my own security or is God watching over that? So is God trustworthy? Can I trust him for tomorrow? And Jesus says, well, look at the birds, look at the grass. God takes care of all of those things. He will take care of you too. He'll watch over you. But how many times have we, in our fear, have often thought, oh my, everything's gonna blow apart. Everything's gonna fall apart. You lost a job. And all of a sudden, you're worried about tomorrow, and rightfully so, and then all of a sudden, God opens up an opportunity for you, and he comes through. 
And he does so in a way that you could never have guessed or anticipated. But we are a fearful creature, and it has escalating components to it. There's that sense of apprehension. There's a psychological reaction to the fear that we have. Sometimes we'll shake. There's a physical phenomenon to it. But most is a behavioral response. When we fear, we will either take flight or fight. Flight or fight. But Jesus said, no, faith is a third option. And he's trying to uncouple the fears that we have so deep down inside of us and to kind of press us beyond where we are. And we have to trust the process. We have to trust that God is doing something even when we can't understand it. So courage is to be afraid. You don't need courage if you're not afraid. Courage is to be afraid even when your knees are knocking and your heart is racing and you step out anyways, even when that step makes no sense to anybody but you at times. And you take that step and you persist in the face of fear. And you don't sit on security, but you take a step of faith. There are so many stories we could go to today in the Bible. He tells Peter to step out of the boat when they're in the middle of a storm and to walk toward him. These type of stories are in abundance in the scripture. <clears throat> now, why would God ask Peter to step into the water? Why would he ask you and me to not be afraid because when we somehow find courage, what we find as well is strength. And when we find strength, we will find joy because we did something that we never thought that we could do. And so courage is an important thing. So here's this guy, back to the parable, <clears throat> that's deciding he's going to sit on his security rather than thinking about how he might not only make his own life better, but how he might make someone else's life better as well. And the difference between these two things is these two terms. When you are sitting on something, one term is hedonism. The hedonistic path to happiness is largely self-focused rather than community-focused. The hedonistic path is about my life and my happiness, not yours. But there's another word here, eudaimonia, that describes the path to happiness is a communal thing as well. The eudaimonic path to happiness is a community-focused approach to happiness when we seek meaning for our lives by serving and contributing to something bigger than me, it is, a, it is a life about us, not just about me. All of a sudden, my life takes on greater purpose and meaning. And where there is greater purpose and meaning, there is greater happiness and joy. But we have to trust the process. Remember John Lewis, he passed away recently. One of his quotes was, I appeal to all of you to get into this great revolution that is sweeping this nation Get in and stay in the streets of every city and every village and hamlet of this nation until true freedom comes, until the revolution of 1776 is complete. Now what he had in mind there, <clears throat> that went all the way back to the days of Selma, Alabama, was taking the courage 
walking into the face of fear across that bridge. Here's another quote of his. Courage is a reflection of the heart. It is a reflection of something deep within the man or woman or even a child who must resist and must defy an authority that is morally wrong. Courage makes us march on despite fear and doubt on the road toward justice. And so things like the Voting Rights Act and other things that John Lewis was able to be a part of because he looked beyond his own life all went back to that day that he crossed a bridge in Selma, Alabama, and he found the courage to think of his life beyond his own personal security. So that brings me to the second point here. Uh, he talks about serving the greater good, and the greater good is found in verse 42 through 48. So if you jump down, as you come down to verse 42, you'll notice your eyes will scroll across another paragraph here. And in verse 35, Jesus will say, Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So he introduces this idea of, uh, idea of service. Well, what does that look like? So let's take a look, verse 42, Luke chapter 12. So Peter uh, asks a question in verse 41, Lord, are you going to tell this parable to us or to everyone? And then Jesus said, who then is faithful and wise, who's, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. In other words, he's all out for himself, and he's going to take the other resources from the other servants. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. From everyone who has been given much much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, what do we do with that paragraph? That's pretty graphic, isn't it? So the master who entrusts these servants with certain possessions goes away and he comes back and he sees what the servants have done with what has been entrusted to them. Some have done uh, devious activities and others... They've just kind of sat on their security. So what Jesus does here is he uses hyperbole. Are you following what I'm saying? This isn't literal. This is hyperbole. And as he's using hyperbole, he's saying, well, there's a certain consequence to your actions. Those of you who only live for yourself, you're going to have to live with the misery of living only for yourself. Those of you who were too afraid that um, you didn't want to live just for yourself, but you were too afraid to step out and do something more with your life, well, there's some unpleasantness there as well. 
But what we find is those servants that stepped out and trust and courage and use what God had given to them, well, they will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's this idea of serving the greater good than just ourselves. Now, whether we realize it or not, all of us deeply care about equality, don't we? We are often taught if we're smarter or stronger or more talented, then we will have more advantages available to us. But we also know deep down in our souls that our life should be also fair, that it should be fair not just to me but to others as well. And sometimes what we do is we will realize that we should fight for fairness, but we misunderstand, I think, the difference between equality and justice. And that's a very important point that we need to understand. Justice is about fairness. It's about making sure people get access to opportunities that they need so they too can live a life of joy and happiness as well. So I ran across this little cartoon here of the difference between equality and justice. Equality is all three of these individuals got a ticket to the ball game, you might say, and all of them had a box upon which they could stand. However, one was much taller than the other, and so there was equality. I mean, they all had the same box that they could stand on, but it wasn't fair because one couldn't see the game, while the other one didn't really necessarily need the box to be able to see the game. And so he gave that box to the shortest one, and all of a sudden, all three of them could see the ball game. So I think that helps us. This is not a political statement between capitalism and socialism and communism. It's just in life, all of us have been given opportunities that we can give a box away to someone so that they too might be able to find joy and happiness in their life as well. So Jesus, in this very brutal paragraph, uh, uses hyperbole for us to get the point and not forget it. And then verse 49, he uses another hyperbolic statement. He says in verse 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. In other words, how I wish other people would get the picture, see the vision of what could happen if we don't sit on our security or sit in our fear or sit in uh, our sense of self-absorption and we look out to each other and we use our opportunities to serve a greater purpose by looking out for other people as well. I think all of us can say, in our life, when we have stepped out and we have done something for someone else, it really has raised our level of joy and happiness. And <clears throat> to come back to the parable of the rich man, he finally gets the treasure in his hands, right? Now, what is he going to do with it? Is he going to sit on the security or is he just going to use it for self-consumption? Or will he understand to whom much has been given, much is required, to live a full, alive type of life. You take the opportunities to love each other because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
Life is a gift and love is the point. And we are called to be a beneficial presence in each other's lives. You have your stories of how you felt when you took that step of faith. You trusted the process of being made in the image of God. And you used your resources, you used your opportunities to not only bless yourself, but bless other people as well. And it is there that you go, boy, that brought a level of joy to me that I probably would not have experienced if I had not taken that step. So my point in this little paragraph, this little parable we've been teasing out over the last several weeks is, do you know that your joy and happiness in many ways depends upon seeking the greater good? What is the greater good? You live your life, I live mine. Only you can answer that for yourself. What is the greater good? And will God be faithful in bringing me more joy and happiness in my life because I took that step of faith, I was courageous enough not to sit on my security, but trust the process of allowing God to bring about the blessings that only He can bring about. So as we close this morning, I just have three quotes here. You must be bold, brave, and courageous and find a way to get in the way, John Lewis. He has a lot of great uh, points. Jesus says in verse 49, I have come to bring a fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. You know what Jesus is saying there? How I wish I could light a fire under you. That's kind of what he's saying, right? I, I wish I could light a fire under you so that you will always remember that you can make a good living while at the same time serving the greater good. Yes, the disciples left everything along the Sea of Galilee and left and followed Christ. Jesus is not asking you necessarily, unless he's prompting you to somehow give up a career path and follow a different path. Usually that's not the way. Usually what God is doing through Christ is prompting you in your career path, whatever it is, how can you serve the greater good? Not just so that you get a raise, but that you can raise other people up in the process as well. And when you do, you will experience deeper levels of joy and happiness. So will you stand with me as we close today? And here's a little prayer that we're gonna use. We're gonna say it in unison in just a second. So remember this as we close this morning. Jesus always chose loving the neighbor over loving theology. Jesus always chose sitting with vulnerable people over standing with the powerful. Jesus always chose hearing the broken one over correcting brokenness. Jesus always chose empowering the poor over defending the rich. And Jesus always chose serving the greater good than wanting the greatest gain. Let's say this as our closing prayer together in unison. When we are proud, make us humble. When we are weak, make us confident. In a world of rage, make us peace. In a world of fear, make us tall. Make us like Jesus. Amen and amen. May God bless you. May he bring upon his countenance to you 
this day and into this week. Go in peace. God bless you.